0: and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. The past few weeks we've been looking at this prayer, and we've taken a lot of time with it, and I think it's important because it is laying a foundation for much of what is in the book of Ephesians, And also, we're building a grammar. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. It's the grammar of the Gospel. It's building the sentences, the vocabulary, the words, the way the words are put together, the syntax of our Gospel, what we believe about our Lord Jesus Christ and about us. If you don't get the grammar of the Gospel right, if you get it backwards you no longer have Christianity. That's how important it is. And the grammar of the Gospel, very simply, according to Paul, is who you are then determines what you do. If you get that backwards, if what you do determines who you are, you don't have Christianity anymore. You simply have religion or moralism. That's all you have. If what you do determines who you are. But if you reverse them, you are going to be required to look to God for transformation, new birth, resurrection that has to take place in your soul. And then from that and out from that flows everything else that we do and think and say. And if you get that, you have Christianity. You have something that's unique. It's not like any religion in the world. And so we've been talking about the characteristics the first week, characteristics of our prayers, that's the importance of our heart. Last time I was here, we talked about the direction of our prayers, the importance of relationship. In other words, Paul builds a grammar of Trinitarianism. The Trinity is very difficult to understand. But what he's saying is that as you pray, you're not praying at an object. You are praying to someone who is in relationship with you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This intense and profound relationship of the Trinity. Whatever that mysterious thing is, and he, who He is, whatever it is. You're in relationship with it. You're not praying to... An idol to uh, something that's just wood or stone or metal, but someone who truly is involved in your life. So that's the importance of relationship. Today we're going to talk about the content of our prayers, the importance of doctrine. The importance of doctrine. Now, I, I doubt that I'll get any pushback from this crowd because we are all about doctrine, we love doctrine. I mean, I I think it is extremely important. I'm going to make a case for it. People say, well, you know, doctrine's not important. Doctrine divides. Yes, it divides. It's supposed to divide. It's supposed to divide error from truth. And if you don't think it matters, then you can join the rest of the throng of American evangelicalisms and R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministry and Lifeway just did an amazing survey. It's in Christianity Today. And the, the, the reality that the evangelical church and America in general, and the evangelical church in particular, is just ridden with heresy. And heresy of the most terrible kind. It's not splitting hairs over minor doctrines, things like the Trinity. Most evangelicals are not Trinitarian, they're modalists, which is a heresy. Most. Evangelical Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is, listen, a force, not a person. And those are just a few. And the statistics for Americans, just in general, is much worse. So doctrine matters, folks. We will lose our faith if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it. And Paul rolls out this prayer, and it's just chocked full of doctrine. So doctrine is extremely important, and we're going to build our grammar—the grammar of the gospel—that is rich in doctrine, so that when you go to God and you're praying, your prayers will be. Listen, your prayers can be simple, simple, and yet substantial. Simple and yet substantial you don't have to pray deep theological prayers Paul doesn't but they need to be substantial they need to have substance and that's what we're going to look at this morning we're going to look at three things first of all we're going to look at the content of our prayers the doctrine of God concerning his person who God is because Paul clearly is talking about that secondly We're going to look at the doctrine of His promise. What our future holds. Wouldn't you like to know the future? What your future holds? I'm going to tell you this morning. Or Paul will tell you through me. And finally, we're going to look at the doctrine of His power, concerning His power, the resurrection. And so we're going to look at His person, God the Father, the person of God, the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at His promise. And, sec- and thirdly, we'll look at his power. So let's, let's get into it. And uh, first, his person. Now we could spend, there are volumes, any of you that, are, that love books and systematic theology, there are books. I have a book by uh, uh, Stephen Charnock that is literally this thick. You can barely open it. And who know? Herman Mopola will know the title of this book. Anyone know the title of that book? It's this thick. You can't miss it on a bookshelf. Anyone know the title to this book by Stephen Charnock? No one? Okay, here it is. You can write it down in your notes because you may need this later when you pray. (laughs) God help me. God deliver me from Chuck's books. (laughs) All right. The Attributes of God. And it's this thick. And it should be that thick because they're enormous. It's enormous to talk about the attributes of God. So when we're going to talk about God's person... I could spend months, we could spend the rest of the life of Christ the King Presbyterian Church and certainly the rest of my life just talking about the attributes of God. I've picked one. And here it is. To know God. To know God, the Apostle Paul says, to know God is to know Him this way. Look at it. Verse 15. To know God is to know Him this way. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. To know God, you must know Him this way. Not just any way, not some vague spirituality, not just anything you want Him to be, because he, has, he is who He is. If God is whoever you want Him to be, if He just simply fits into some mold that you've created, or something you've created, then as Tim Keller famously says in his books, Reason for God is, He's just you if you just want a God and you just make up a God of some kind that you think is who he ought to be and what he ought to be and He ought to be like this then it's just you but the God of the Bible he describes himself you see he discloses to us who he is and he says to know him you must know him this way he is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory and further The single attribute that is just just, uh, embedded in this is the attribute of life. Life itself. Everything that you and I know about life. Jesus said this in John 17 when He was praying to the Father. This is eternal life. Listen, here it comes. This is eternal life. That they may know You, the only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, to know God, you have to know Him in this way. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to know Him in this way gives you life. Life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes to what? Steal? kill and destroy i have come to bring you life and life what more abundantly more abundantly now listen folks just just let me let me be very f- frank with you immediately our minds go to length of days and on it spreads on into heaven, into eternity. And so therefore, when we hear words like this, we think that He's talking about immortality. Right? Immortality. Eternal life equals immortality. In other words, we will never die. And while that's true, that is not what He's talking about. That's not what Paul was talking about. That's not what Jesus was talking about. And that's not what any of the rest of the Bible is talking about when it talks about eternal life. When He talks about eternal life, listen carefully, He's talking about a kind and quality of life. A kind and quality of life. And that kind and quality of life starts now. And it goes on forever. Now think about your life. Do you realize that everyone in this room will, will be dead someday? We will all die. The, the statistics are what? One out of how many? One out of one. Everybody dies. Some people can even cheat taxes, but you cannot cheat death. We all will die. And so the reality of death is a human experience that actually has kept us in what the writer of Hebrews said, in bondage, in chains, enslaved to what? To fear, fear of death. So when Jesus says, I have come to bring you life, and the Apostle Paul says, to know God is to know Him this way. And Jesus says to know Him this way is eternal life. What He's telling you and me, everyone that will put their trust in this Man, Jesus Christ, in this God, in this way, that you can begin today to experience a kind and quality of life that cannot be assailed by anything. In other words, you can really live, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to look to people's approval. You don't have to garner power. You don't have to to protect your reputation. You let God protect your reputation. You don't have to worry about your children. You don't have to worry about your grandchildren. You don't have to worry about your great-grandchildren. You can actually live. And no matter what political party happens to uh, graze across the landscape in their little brief moment of time, and we worry and wring our hands, they're here today and gone tomorrow. But let me tell you something, folks. Jesus Christ is Lord. Did you hear that? He is the Lord, the living Lord. He's the King. As Mr. Beaver told Lucy, He's the King, I tell you. The King. He reigns forever. And He graciously, hands in His hand, He he offers eternal life, not immortality. Life. That you can enjoy now. You can embrace now. That's a kind and quality of life. Paul said this, Colossians 3.3, For you have died, listen, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you hear that? You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see how He takes each one of us and encapsulates us in a lockbox of security so that nothing can touch you. Yes, you'll suffer. Yes, you'll have pain. You might have diseases. Who knows what God may bring? What suffering may come? Who knows? But inside, down deep in your soul is an unassailable life that no one can take from you. Why? Because your old life's gone. It's dead. And your new life is hidden with Christ in God. Absolute security. It's one of the most amazing things. That's who God is. He is our life. Our life. Let's look at the second one. Look at His promise. What does the future hold? The future, Paul says in his prayer, is basically twofold. The future is a hope. And an inheritance. Uh, Look at verse 18. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That we may know first what is the hope of our calling. And secondly, what is the riches of this glorious inheritance. So let's look at the the idea of hope. Listen to what's said. Now I've told you all this for years. And many of you have gotten it. But some haven't. So listen. This is coming now from Sinclair Ferguson. Listen to what he says. The hope of which Paul speaks is not to be confused with wishful thinking. It's not to be confused with wishful thinking. It is an assurance of the reality of what we have not yet fully experienced what he's saying is is that Christian hope folks is not wishful thinking it's not pie in the sky oh, hope that happens I hope I win the lottery I hope that guy likes me I hope that girl won't break up and I hope I get that job I hope I hope I hope that's not what he's talking about and that's nothing wrong with that kinda of hope That's human hope it's good hope but here he's saying this is a hope that is absolutely certain it is rock solid the only caveat to this hope is that it's in the future. That it hasn't come yet. That it hasn't arrived. But it's on its way. The best illustration, the one I've used for years with you, is that it's like a tsunami. You know, the earth breaks. The the plates shift. the, The water begins to flow and it starts thousands, sometimes thousands of miles out at sea in the Pacific. And it rolls. It starts moving. And the people on the beach, they don't know. It's just nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. They could play for days and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, the water recedes. It goes away. The beach gets really, really long. And you can see, you know, boats out there stranded. And then all of a sudden, here comes the water. You see, that is the hope that we have as Christians. That Hope happened the day that the stone rolled away from the tomb and Jesus stepped out of that that hole in the ground, whatever it was, when He stepped out of that hole in the ground, the earth shook, the rocks rent, and there, the, the tidal wave began, and it is on its way. It's not wishful thinking. It is certain. He will return bodily someday, I don't know when, Whatever Nicolas Cage might think is wrong. Nobody is watching movies. Okay, never mind. All right. Whatever he thinks is wrong. We don't know when he's going to be here. But he's coming. And all of his promises are coming. All the fulfillment of those promises is coming. And you can start living in that now. The reality of it comes to us now. The hope is real. It's rock solid. You can go to the bank you can bet your life. And Paul is saying that content should fill your prayers. There's an assurance, a solidity to our lives, folks. We're not wispy like smoke. We're solid. Eternal life is at work in us already. Listen to what Ferguson goes on. How we live our life now how we live our life now is in large measure determined by how we think about the future the purpose behind god's revelation about the future listen is to transform the way we live in the present that's brilliant if if you have Uh, Look, I'm going to be very honest with you folks. I don't know all of your backgrounds, but I'm sure that some of you, uh, like me, were indoctrinated with the idea that there's going to be a secret rapture and that planes are going to fall out of the sky. I mentioned Nicolas Cage in this movie. That that planes are going to fall out of the sky and that for seven years, the world is going to go down the toilet because the Antichrist is going to reign the world, reign the earth. If you believe that mythology... If you believe that the end of the world is coming, and so what difference does it make that we save redwood trees? What difference does it make that we preserve whales? Who cares? I mean, it's all going to burn, right? That's the mythology of the American church. And I'm going to tell you folks, that will cause you to give up on your life. In fact, if you carry it to its logical conclusion, You should sell everything you have and go live out in the desert. Or maybe not. Right? People have done that. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is indeed coming back and that when He comes back it's going to be sudden, all of a sudden, and He's going to transform the world in the blink of an eye. If you believe that scenario... And that what He's going to do is restore the world that you live in, not burn it up into nothing, but He's going to recreate it and make something beautiful. Everything that was beautiful now is going to be there then. Only better. If you believe that, then you'll invest deeply in your families. In fact, you'll bring your children when they're little babies so that I can baptize them. You baptize you. You will bring me your babies, you'll run with your babies and say, baptize my baby, because I live in eternity, because the world is eternal, because we're going to create now. You will treat people differently, you'll treat the world around you differently. Everything will literally be transformed. It will transform the way we live now if we believe that now matters. R.C. Sproul's motto on his Table Talk magazine, Do you know what it is, Hugo? His motto? I think Dave knows, do you know it? Right now, right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. What you do now is going to go into eternity. It's not just going to disappear one day. It matters. Your children matter. Your children's children matter. Your work matters. The art you create matters. The beauty, the romance, the love that you have all of it matters not just till the end of the day but for eternity it gives us an immense purpose for living and an incredible hope don't give up folks don't give up on your marriages don't give up on your friends don't give up on people in the church oh, well, they didn't talk to me they weren't nice to me or whatever don't give up it's okay to suffer a little bit it's okay you won't die It's okay to invest, it's okay to risk, it's okay to take chances with relationships, with love, with work, with your future. Which job should I take? I've got three jobs. You know what? Pick one! Quit agonizing which one's the right one. You can't make a mistake. Right, Scott? Yeah. You can't make a mistake. It's impossible for you to make a mistake. Pick whichever one you want. I don't know which person to marry. Pick one. <laughs> well, what if they're not right for me? I'm going to tell you something this morning. You probably don't know. They're not right for you. You're going to suffer. That's the whole point. <laughs> there we go again. We're going to have to get rid of that peanut gallery back there. I mean, come on, folks. You know what? What is up with that? Like God's will is some target out there with a bullseye, and you've got to hit it. Good luck, in the famous words of John Calvin. <laughs> you're not going to hit it. What He's done is given you freedom. And if you're living in faith, choose, pick, do. Don't be afraid, don't agonize. Otherwise, you're paralyzed, and that's not life, that's bondage. Now don't say Chuck said I could go out and marry, you know, an axe murderer. I'm not saying that. You're supposed to marry a Christian and all that, right? You all, everybody okay with that? I got to See I have to I have to cover my tracks. What are the riches of this glorious inheritance? This is a difficult sentence to translate. I don't have a lot of time, let me do it quickly. Uh, it could mean, the Greek is, is a little bit difficult, and it could mean this. It could mean that we are His inheritance. That the church is His inheritance. And, and that would follow along, that we're His possession, we're His prized people and all that. And that would follow Psalm 28, Psalm 33, Psalm 78, Malachi chapter 3, probably the best one. That we are God's inheritance. In other words, we're His offspring. Good. Good. It could also mean this, that He is our inheritance. And there are also passages uh, that have to do with that. Exodus chapter 12 for one. God said He would be our possession, and the way that we would know that is that He would be present with us, He would live with us, and He would give us a place to live, which was the land, the land of Israel. And so He said, I will be your, your, your inheritance. I will live with you, I'll be, your pre- I'll be present with you, and we'll live together in the land. So the Greek, uh, the, the, the actual Greek language is very ambiguous. You don't, we don't know. And all the commentaries are different. Except for the good ones. And guess what the good ones say? that Paul probably was intentionally ambiguous because he wants it to be both. I am yours, and you are mine, is what he's saying, in the most beautiful, poetic, lovely terms. He's saying, you are my possession, you're my inheritance. Do you see it? Do you see the beauty of it? Either way, folks, faithful New Testament makes no difference. Faithful believers have always looked beyond the land, promises of land and and cattle and possessions, they have always looked beyond the land where? To the landlord. They have always, faithful believers, Old, New Testament, doesn't matter, have always looked beyond the promises to the promise maker and the Promise Keeper. We have always, those of us who are trusting in this God, have always looked beyond all of that to Him. Because if you have Him, what do you have? Everything else. Yes? If you get Him, you get it all. Some now, some later. If you don't have Him, you don't have anything. You can have all the money in the world. It will be meaningless to you. It'll be like sawdust. Ask anybody that's got it, and they'll tell you. Either way, faithful believers have always looked. Paul says this, in, and we're going to look at this later in chapter 2. He says, You were once Gentiles. Listen to how he describes the Gentiles. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. You were Gentiles. You were alienated from Israel. Strangers to the covenant promises. You had no hope. You were without God. And then he uses the two best words in the whole Bible. He says, but now, but now you who were far off have been brought near. How? How do you get from there to here? How do you get there? Paul says, by His blood. That's how you get there. By His blood. We were outsiders, and now we're inside. Folks, this will create an incredible... If you'll let it, your prayers will be, will be shot full of dignity where you will see yourself as worthy of, of being a good person. Of being a person that God treasures and has made righteous and clothed with robes of righteousness, you will come to Him not with cockiness and not demanding, but with a deep, incredible humility, but a boldness at the same time. You will boldly come to the throne of grace, not demanding, but saying simply what any child would say to his parent Dad, Father, you promised. Who can resist that? You promised. And any good parent will give that child what they ask for. Or, as Tim Keller says, I quoted him a few weeks ago, or what they would have asked for if they had known everything he knows. Do you see it? There it is, the glory of our inheritance. And finally, quickly, let's finish. His power. The resurrection, this is in verse 19, he said, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? Paul takes your life. And all that it is, folks, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life, all the regrets, all the pain, all the sin, everything, He takes it all, and He said, what it is now, the power that's at work in you now, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. See, sometimes, folks, I feel so powerless, and so I feel impotent. I feel like I can't accomplish anything. I can't do what I want. I run out of energy, literally run out of energy. I'm getting older. I don't even like inviting Ben Coppage to come preach here because he's so young and energetic. Thinking they're going to like him better than me. No. Think about it. The energy of our lives ebb and flow. Our hopes, our dreams, they ebb and flow but what he's saying to you and me is there's a power at work in you. And that power is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't feel it all the time. Sometimes I don't feel it at all. But I have to believe what the Apostle is saying is true. And when I go in my prayers and I want to build the grammar of my prayers, I want to know that that power is at work in me, not in spite of my sin, not in spite of my failures, but because of my sin and because of my failures. That that power is at work otherwise I have no hope except my own power and my own strength and my own will. But if I can lay hold on this, then I know that even when I'm weak, I am what? Strong. And that my weakness is perfected by His strength. The Ephesians lived in the epicenter of Diana worship, the occult uh, goddess Diana And the socio-political power of the entire Mediterranean basin revolved around these occult gods and goddesses. And the church, the Christian church, was just this little band of nobodies and nothings. In fact, Paul says, look around, not many noble, not many great, not many people with degrees, not many people with money, not many people that are even good looking. It's mostly ugly people in the church. Look around at you, how weak you are, how nothing you are. And we feel that way sometimes. And they lived in the epicenter of that world. And Paul, <laughs> you've got to love this Paul. I mean, Paul comes up and he says, you know what? Even though you live there when you pray, the grammar of your prayers are power, resurrection, victory and I would like any of you to get in a plane and fly to Ephesus today. I'd like to invite you to go there. You can do it after church on the Internet. Put Ephesus in and look at some pictures of the temple of Diana. Guess what you'll see? It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Guess what you'll see now? What do you think? No. No, not even ruins. You see nothing. It's gone. Don't you love that? Our God lives forever. Their God, He's gone. She's gone. How do you make that part of your grammar, folks? Well, the only way I know to do it, and what I I hope that you will remember this morning above all else, is that when when you see Jesus Christ going to the cross for you, taking your shame, taking your sin, taking your death and your alienation, your outsideness. You see, Jesus was the consummate insider. Yes, Trinity, Holy Trinity, second person of the Holy Trinity, Son, He was the consummate insider. And how did He make a way for you and me to come inside? How? By going outside to the cross how did he keep you and me out of the grave by going in to the grave how did he keep the wrath of God from falling down from heaven and turning us into ashes how did he do that by drinking the cup of the wrath of God down to its dregs For you, as you so that when you pray all of that rich doctrine can become part of the grammar of your prayers and then your prayers the focus of our prayers our prayers together folks and our prayers individually will change they will be centered around Jesus Christ all of it Him for us Him for us Will you trust Him? I really pray that you will. I pray that you will. Let's pray. Father, we are so very grateful to You. You're good. It's Your mercy. It endures forever. Truly, there is no one like You in heaven above or on the earth beneath. And we ask that You would transform us this day by the power of Your Spirit to trust You and to love You and to know that You did not die for us in spite of our sins, but because of them. And that you live today and forgive us today, not in spite of our sins, but because of them. Help us come to this table boldly and yet with great humility and joy. For you loved us and you gave yourself for us. Amen.